Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 10 is where we're going to be this week. Uh, of course, we'll have verses and text on the screen as well, but if you have your Bibles and you want to open them and follow along with us, you can to John, John chapter 10. Uh, today we're talking about one way, and uh, I couldn't help thinking about the sermon and thinking about how to illustrate this and about driving around in Germany on one-way streets. You know, when you get different places in Germany, boy, there can be a lot of one-way streets running downtowns, uh, Munich and Frankfurt, and you can just get stuck. And we have been stuck on one-way streets where, like, it's two ways for a long time, and then all of a sudden, it's one way. And, of course, there's no place to turn around because somehow there are cars still parked on both sides of the street, and I don't know what to do. I can't turn around. Go straight, and guess what? There's a polizei waiting there. I mean, they must know that tourists do this all the time. And there was no mercy. There was a ticket involved. And, you know, it's just like, what, what, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to, I guess, just know better. Um, you just, but I just blame it on Google Maps, okay? Uh, it's just Google Maps' fault. But guess what? When Germans visit the United States, they got to get used to weird things too, right? Like four-way stops. Like, I hate four-way stops now. Just from coming back from the U.S., roundabouts, Love, love them, okay? Four-way stops, but Germans have to get used to that. Also, making a right turn on red. Can you imagine how scary that might be for somebody who learned to drive in Germany, taking a right turn on a red? That's crazy, I'm sure. So there's a lot of things that are different about driving in these different countries, but I think one-way streets frustrate everybody. You know, you find yourself wanting to go right, but you can only go left, or wanting to go left, you can only go right. You have to turn around the whole block, try to find another way. Hopefully you don't go through a walk plots or something else trying to get exactly where you need to be. But Jesus taught that he was the one way. He was the one way, and this makes us uncomfortable too, right? We're trying to, so many people try to find another way. What about the billions of people who don't know Jesus? Billions, I mean billions of people who don't know the Lord or choose to worship at the feet of another God. What, ha- what about them? Is Jesus the only way for them? Why do we believe this about Jesus? Well, we believe this about Jesus because this is what he said about himself. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what Jesus revealed about himself. Jesus has closed down every other road that leads to heaven and left us with just one Einbahnstrasse, one one-way street to heaven. He is the way to an abundant life. He is the way to a saved life. He is the way to a reconciled life. He is the one way. John chapter 10, verse 7 says this. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have the other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they, must, they will listen to my voice. So that there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." A couple of notes about the text before we move on to the bulk of the sermon. Just things that stood out to me as I was studying this week. The fact that Jesus takes ownership of us. He, 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 he takes responsibility for each and every one of us. He laid down his life for the sheep. And the sheep know his voice. We know him and he knows us. Another prominent theme throughout this text is that Jesus is describing himself as a door. Now, I really like this, this word picture because a door swings both ways, right? We can come in or we can go out. What do you call a door that only swings one way? A trap, right? A trap. If a door only swings one way, it's a trap. If you can get in but you can never get out, then you are trapped. This is not how Jesus describes himself. Now, I want to bring an illustration of this because I know in our church there are people from many different tribes of Christianity, right? There's the tribe that believes that once you become a Christian, you can never become a non-Christian again. And then there's our tribe, which believes, and both are welcome here, I'm just explaining. Uh, the tribe that I'm in would say that you must respond to God's gift of grace voluntarily, but you can also disregard it voluntarily. Though no one can snatch you out of his hand, you can walk away. Because a door swings both ways, doesn't it? It's just something to think about. If you can walk in and never walk out, that's more like a trap than it is a door. And it's just something to, to think about as far as um, what, wh how, where you stand on that issue. But Jesus here, he's talking and revealing to, him, to, his, to his listeners that he is the one way to heaven. I want to draw our attention to three points today. That Jesus is the way to abundant life, he is the way to a, sa a saved life, and he is the way to a reconciled life. My first point, Jesus is the way to an abundant life. An abundance of divine power. All of the power of God is brought to bear for the good of those who love and serve the Lord. Do you know that, that God so cares for you that there's nothing he won't do for you. And that doesn't mean that he's always going to give you what you want, but you can trust the Lord that you are always going to have what you need, whether you think you need it or not. God knows better and he is caring for you. We also have the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives, this abundance of power. It's working in every single believer. The psalmist wrote, awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. 
It is God who gives power and strength to his people. See, this great commission Jesus gives us to go into all the nations of the earth and the power of the Holy Spirit and preach the gospel, that seems like a, a, a huge, a broad and huge task, impossible to do. And I want to tell you that it is impossible without the wonder-working power of God moving through the believer. It is the power of God working through the believer to propagate the gospel around the world. That's how it's done. He gives us strength for the task ahead. We also have an abundance of divine grace. An abundance of divine grace. Human sin can never exhaust the supply of God's grace. And this doesn't make sense to us because we demand justice. The theme in our nation, in America, the theme that's going around the world is our, in her example is justice. Justice. This idea of mercy and grace seems more and more foreign in every corner of the world. But the abundance of God's grace is unexhaustible. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that you don't get what you deserve? You don't get what you deserve through the grace of Jesus. God gives us grace because he chooses to. Not because we have earned it or could ever earn it. Grace comes as a free gift from God. He loves us. That's why we have grace. We also have an abundance of thanksgiving. No matter how bad of a day or week or month or even year or years that you're having, you and I have more than we could ever hope for in Christ Jesus. This is especially true in Western Christianity who virtually knows nothing of poverty. Now, I didn't come up with a lot, and many of you didn't either. But did you know that the international poverty line is $2 a day? $2 a day. I, that's, that's crazy. We couldn't even imagine living on $2 a day, not even $2 an hour. We, we are a blessed people. And God is calling us to share those blessings. Every day we should be living from a place of gratitude and thankfulness of those blessings. We also have an abundance of further blessing in Christ. Those who are in Christ have a promise of, et of an eternity with him, free from pain and filled with joy in his presence. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says it like this, For this light momentary affliction for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal no matter what we're going through today we have the hope in Christ Jesus that we will enter eternity with him that there will be rest the Bible describes our life as just a fleeting moment throughout the annals of history. It's just a fleeting moment. A, a speck along the spectrum of time is our life. But eternity goes on and on and on. It is eternal, and we will be with Jesus. We have the distinct privilege of knowing that what lies ahead is far better than anything we could ever leave behind. My second point is this. Jesus is the way to salvation. He is the way. See, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God upon sin. God didn't just decide one day, well, I just don't think sin's all that important anymore. 
It's just not that big of a deal. I can, I can get over it. You know, it's not like he was just acting immature. No, sin always had to be punished. God's holiness always has to be the standard. And so there was no other way but through Jesus. And on the cross, the wrath of God upon sin was on Jesus. He suffered the punishment for you and for I, for me. 1 John 2.2 says this, He is the propitiation or the substitutionary atonement for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus didn't just die for the church. He loves the church. He will come back for the church, but he died for the sins of the world. The sacrifice is already made. And in a few moments, we'll talk about reconciliation and how this is what we should be communicating to people. It's not a matter of if Jesus died for the sins of the world. He did die for the sins of the world. Aren't you glad? He is the door by which all who wish to be saved must enter. In Acts 4.12, it says there is salvation in no one else. In no one else. Jesus' death on the cross is the complete and finished work that enables all people who would receive his gift of salvation to be saved. Receiving the gift of salvation requires us to exercise our faith, though, and put our trust in him. We must exercise our faith and put our trust in him for that salvation as we receive it. We cannot receive something from someone that we don't believe existed or exists. Does that make sense? Now, we like to blame God for a lot of things, circumstances, certainly people who don't know the Lord like to blame God. Even people you know who have nothing to do with God blame God for things in their lives, divorce, miscarriage, rebellious children, car accidents, injuries, so on and so forth. But putting our faith and our trust in God is conditional for our salvation. We must receive salvation. We must receive it. Thirdly, Jesus is the way to reconciliation. God takes the, the initiative in bringing about reconciliation. 1 John 4 says this, In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, the substitutionary atonement. Growing up, I got a lot of spankings. Spankings were a lot more fashionable then, I guess. And I deserved most of them. Maybe not to the extent by which I received them, but I deserved a lot of them. And you think about it, I never ever had somebody come in and take that spanking for me. Like my little brother never said, hey, I know Matt beat me up again. I was the big brother, you know, I had to raise him up right. I know, I know he did this and, you know, uh, it wasn't right, but I want to take the... the the punishment for him. That never happened. Throughout my entire life, nobody has been willing to take a, a punishment or a reprimand of, of, of any kind that I deserved. But Jesus, Jesus did. See, before punishment was even meted out, Jesus stood up and said, I will take the punishment for him, for her, for them. I'll take the punishment. Because he loved us. He loved us. By all accounts, unlovable. But he loved us. He chose to love us. And that's a, listen, married couples, 
There's a lesson to be learned here, and there's a reason that the Bible draws a line and a parallel between Christ's love for the church and our love for our spouse. It's a choice. When we're hurt by our spouse, we choose to love them. When they disappoint us, we choose to love them. When, when, when they get a raise and advance even beyond ourselves, we choose to love them. Through good times and bad, through sickness and in health, we choose love. We do it because Jesus exampled it for us first. Though we are unlovable, he loved us. In our reconciliation, we live in peace with God. How many of you are living in peace with God right now? How many of you know God's not angry with you? He does not have it out for you. He is not punishing you. And I can say that with all confidence because I know that the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus. The punishment for your sin was poured out upon the cross. God is not in the business of punishing people. Is he in the business of guiding us and maybe correcting our way? Yes. But the punishment for our sin was poured out on Jesus. He's not punishing you. He punished Jesus in your place. We live in abundant peace, not fear. There's a lot of things to be afraid of. The world seems like it's closing in. I tell you, these last few months in the United States and, and in our, during our visit, even in some of the most patriotic places in our country, you know, Texas is intensely patriotic and not just for their statehood, but for their nation. But watching our nation be pulled apart from the inside has been very hard, especially for a patriot, somebody who loves our great nation and loves everybody in our great nation. But I want to tell you that God has not called us to live in fear, but to live in peace. To live it in peace with one another. And we can do that because of the peace extended to us through Jesus. God has called each and every one of us to lead others in reconciliation with God. One of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible says this, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Twice here it says, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have been entrusted with this message. And God is making his appeal through you as an ambassador for Christ to the world. Now that's heavy. That's a weight that you probably don't want to bear. It's a lot easier just to go around living your life not being considered of what God would have you to do and just satisfying what you want to do. But the truth is, before we are anything else, if we are in Christ, we are a Christian. We are a Christian police officer. We are a Christian uh, soldier. We are a Christian officer. We are a Christian school teacher or mail carrier. We are Christians first. And this job comes with a responsibility. Being named Christian comes with responsibility. And it is the responsibility of the message of reconciliation. 
it has been entrusted to us. Now, while Jesus walked the earth and he, and he taught his disciples, it was his ministry. But before he departed and was ascended into heaven, he gave a great commission to the disciples, and that is that they would preach the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to the nations of the earth, that they would baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then what? Jesus ascended into heaven. And where is Jesus today? At the right hand of the Father. And after he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell the believer. And the believer is now entrusted with this message of reconciliation. We are to be telling other people about this great and awesome thing Jesus did for them. He died for them. He took their sin upon his broad shoulders and he suffered and died in their place on a cross because he loved them and he wanted a reconciled relationship with them. This is our job. This reconciliation we enjoy is not to be hoarded, but to be shared. Do you like so many financial blessings we enjoy? We're to share them. But our spiritual blessings as well, we're to share them. We're not called just to sit in these seats or sit at home on a couch and wait for Jesus to come back and heaven to start and the party to begin. I want to tell you that there is no greater privilege than sharing the gospel because when you see somebody give their heart and life to the Lord, when you see a family transformed and come into a personal relationship with Christ and you know that you had a part to play in that, there is no greater reward. And that's why I think Jesus gives us this. It's not a burden. It's a joy. But so few Christians reach out. They're afraid of being too narrow, of saying Jesus is the only way. They're afraid of so many things that they miss out on one of the greatest joys of the Christian life, and that is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody else, carrying on this message of reconciliation. You are called to be an ambassador for Christ. You're not called just to invite them to church. If somebody invited you today, I'm glad you're here, but if, if you're invited and you're not a Christian, you're probably a little confused by why you were invited. The church is for the Christians for the encouragement and building up of the saints, for the works of ministry that happen outside the walls, right? That's why you are called to lead people to Jesus, not just the pastor, right? Not just the worship leader, you. You are called to do that. There's one way, his way. Jesus came that we might have an abundant life. He came to rescue us from our sin and restore our relationship with God. There can be only one way because there's only one person, Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, who can make all of this possible. Of course, today you have a choice. You can leave and go your own way. Jesus never insists that you follow him. However, the Bible is filled with warnings of what going your own way leads to. Sin, frustration, loss, and death. Every time we're confronted with the truth of the gospel, we have a choice to obey or disobey. And today you have a choice to trust and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or go your own way. I encourage you, choose wisely. Choose wisely. To those of you who are already in Christ, are you his ambassador? Are you his ambassador where you work, where you serve, where you find yourself in the day-to-day? -day. Are you conscious of your role as his ambassador? Do you, are you aware that you reflect Christ in everything you do? I challenge you. 
take the job you were given, that moment of salvation, to represent Him to the rest of the world. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.